we open on an almost entirely white canvas. The middle distance is smattered with glacial peaks, but in the foreground there are almost no signs of life. Just contours of snow. However, two specks suddenly emerge on this stark landscape, one seemingly chasing the other. As we move closer and the specks start to take shape, we realize that the larger speck is a helicopter, and that it is indeed chasing after the much smaller speck, a sled dog. Shots echo through the mountains and zing overhead as the dog trudges swiftly through the valley. The man hanging out of the open door on the helicopter brings the scope of the rifle up to his eye again, trying desperately to keep steady in the roaring, vibrating machine. There's an intense desperation to this hunt. Why would men try to kill an animal that is so important to their survival in a place like this? The mine races with possibilities. As the dog continues running, it nears an outpost nestled in the hillside. The sign outside of it reads, United States National Science Institute, Station 4. I want to hear you scream. It is time to keep your appointment with the wicker man. Look at me, Damien. Hello, everyone. This is Podcast of the Dead, the podcast about all things horror-related. My name is Zach Palmer. Sitting next to me is Isaac Wright. Hello. And joining us via video conference from England is Chrissy Beadle. All right, lads. <laughs> uh, and this is our first <laughs> official episode ever. Uh, I think we're all pretty fucking excited for this. It's, uh, I think it's the beginning of something really beautiful here. So our main topic today is going to be John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982, which is uh, his adaption of the novella uh, Who Goes There? But we'll get into that after we talk about some horror, horror news. news. Chrissy, what you got coming for at, us? <laughs> coming at you with uh, Baba Hotep is getting an <laughs> Army of Darkness crossover comic. So you don't just get one type of Bruce Campbell. It's double the Bruce. <laughs> I don't even understand how that's going to work. Do they draw him exactly the same in both like both as <laughs> the, the guy in the old, old folks home know, and Bruce is Elvis. So it's like old Elvis with PP cancer. But then you- <laughs> <laughs> and a handsome one-handed Ash. I don't know what they're doing. I'm assuming they're fighting another like Mummy type thing, deadite, but, whatever. I don't care. I'm gonna buy it. My hang up still is: Are they twins now? Though, like, are are they just two people that look exactly like Bruce Campbell? Or are they two different people? Or is it a fly situation? Did they split them in half? And one was a Elvis impersonator, and the other only has one hand. I'm, uh, I'm not gonna add anything to this conversation. I'm just gonna say: uh, Can I get the words "PP cancer" tattooed on my body somewhere? I needed clarification as to whether or not it's. Cancer of the penis, or if his pee is like a carcinogen. <laughs> like, will his pee give you cancer? <laughs> uh, what, what else do we Then it have? would be called we, we cancer. Uh. <laughs> we'll, Leprechaun Returns is also out. Leprechaun am, Returns I, is out. I don't remember what it's out on. 
but it's out. It's a- you can easily Google it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Here, I was about to... We're, we're doing a news section, and we're just going to say, Google it. I was about to say, yeah, let <laughs> yeah. me... Just let, Google it. Let me take the five seconds necessary <laughs> to find out where Leprechaun Returns can be found for those interested in doing so. It's some sort of street. You said it was some sort of streaming website uh, initially, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's let's try and figure that out. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Sabrina, uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, was also uh, renewed for two more seasons on top of the two seasons that it already was going to have. So four seasons total. Uh, and uh, I have pretty much made it all the way through Sabrina. I only have like one episode left, and God, it's so good. It is really good. So damn yeah, good. It's brilliant. As an update to Le- uh, Leprechaun Returns, it is being produced by Sci-Fi, the network, and it's going to be, uh, air- they will be airing Leprechaun Returns in 2019. So it will be aired on Sci-Fi. It does not give me an accurate date yet. So you're going to have to kind of keep yourself posted. But it has already been <clears throat> released on digital and on demand December 11th, 2018. It doesn't say on what service, though. This, yeah, it this is on the Wikipedia. I, I so, the service, so. Uh, so yeah, Google it might be the best answer even though you're going to have to take just as long as I just did <laughs> and probably be left with no clear information. So, Leprechaun Returns, find it. Good. I, I, I'm glad. I'm glad that we sorted that out yeah. for no one, Thanks. including ourselves. Thanks, sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so on a more serious note, we did have some deaths uh, in the world of horror. Uh, Steve Dash, uh, who played the... Uh, the uh, First adult Jason Voorhees in uh, Friday the 13th Part 2 d- passed away. It was a couple weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that, that about sucks. two weeks ago now? Yeah, about, about two weeks ago. And that's sad because that's my favorite Jason. I mean, he's the, the first he is Jason. He's the best yeah. looking Jason next to Kane Hodder's Part 7 Jason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Part 7 Jason is awesome, and Part 2 Jason is awesome. And uh, the in between ones are uh, of varying degrees, but. Uh, See, that sucks. Yeah. Um, also yeah. relevant to today's uh, main topic, uh, uh, Chrissy, what's, sorry, I'm bad with uh, actor names sometimes. Uh, the guy <laughs> Donald who, Moffat, who played Gary in, obviously, what we're talking about today, The Thing. He, yeah. he died, like, earlier this week? Right. Or was, was it at the end of last week? It was around... I, I think it was... was it, Around this time last week, I think. Yeah, it was about this time last week. Um, yeah, and uh, wait, he was 87, right? Wow. At least he didn't spend a winter tied to the fucking couch. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, okay. What I want to say about him is that I don't know if it was for the role <laughs> or not, or if that was just his shit. He had the best fucking eyebrows. I agree. He I did swear have to some God. Really good eyebrows. You look at those Great and you're eyebrows. like, hell yeah. Rock Those that shit. So, if, if nothing else, even not even his role in the thing, I'll remember his eyebrows most. There were there were some <laughs> wintry caterpillars. <Yeah>. Yes, <laughs> they kept his face warm. That's yeah. And unfortunately, within the horror punk world, which is not a world that either of you are <laughs> in as as such, but uh, unfortunately, we lost the vocalist and guitarist of Mr. Monster, Jason Trioxin. Um, I don't know why or how, but I just know that many of the us fellow horror punks have, were, were very sad to hear that Jason passed away. He was 39, which is oh, wow. really sucky. Yeah, that's young. And 
well, you know, Mr. Monster were great. <laughs> it really sucks. Were they based? Were Were they a UK based band? No, they're based out of New Jersey. Really? Oh of wow! Course, that's the only place a horror punk comes from. Is <laughs> 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 New Jersey or West Virginia? Yeah. West Virginia. Well, that is really sad, man. Yeah, that was it. Was sad. But in lighter news, the one of the teaser posters for Chapter Two of It was released this week, as well as some other, uh, well. The Del Toro thing that you were talking about, Zach. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the so Guillermo de, del Toro, as we probably know, uh, is doing a movie on scary stories to tell in the dark, the classic children's book that is way too scary for children. Uh, it's too spooky. <laughs> and, yeah, it's very very spooky. Uh, they a very kind of vague photo has been released of the set. Uh, it's the first uh, set photo that has been released, and it's really just kind of like a house. We'll post it on the Twitter. Uh, for everybody to look at, which uh, our Twitter is at PC of the Dead, uh, and you guys can see it there. But it's really just kind of vague. There's not a whole lot, but the atmosphere is there, and we're we're pretty interested to see where that's going to go. Have y'all read a scary stories to uh, uh, read in dark? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, years and years ago. Yeah, see, I'm trying to think if I did. I remember reading a lot of horror stuff when I was a child, but and like I just got it from the library. But I don't remember if that's one of them. I have seen it referenced since. What was one of the big stories from that one? I don't know. There was a couple different stories. There was one of uh, there was a, a a woman that a man was dating that had a scarf, and the scarf was like holding her head on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like she always awesome. wore the scarf and never took it off. Uh-huh. And the, the scarf was holding her head on, or a scarf or a ribbon. I think it might have actually been a ribbon. I'm probably butchering this, and people are going to yell at me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I think it is a ribbon. Yeah. I know that that story's sort of been said a lot, like, within... Also, yeah, but... I've just posted our sweet little co-host mascot with his little <laughs> notebook to our Twitter. Nice. Yes. Sweet. So you can you can see our co-host, uh, <laughs> which is uh, a cat. Is cat. <laughs> is cat. <laughs> little Loki, who is joining us on the route. He's asleep. <laughs> It's a great co-host. Contributes a lot to the conversation. I wish I could just sleep through this. Maybe I'll I'll do that next time. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll be the guest co-host and and the cat can just meow into the microphone for 45 minutes. (laughs) Oh, Jade would be great at it. Jade Jade is a very vocal cat. Uh, Yeah. uh, Those who don't know, Jade is uh, my cat uh, and she is ancient. Uh, <laughs> she's 15 no she's 16 now because I got her when she was 15 I've had her uh, for a year yeah. so bless she's 16 that. years old now bless bless her cat soul uh, she is one of the most vocal cats of all time but well, yeah then, I mean then uh, my, my, aforementioned Freya is my other cat who is so loud yeah <laughs> some cats are loud and spent the entirety of yesterday during the thing meowing at <laughs> various incarnations of it <laughs> probably dog thing the most if we're yeah. getting cliche yes if i were a cat i'd look at that and be like i don't like that one i don't like that one i don't like that one that's just kurt russell i don't like him. <laughs> get him out of here <laughs> oh that's just wilford brimley <laughs> no he has diabetes <laughs> 
have to not make diabetes jokes. Yeah, I, I am trying that too. I was thinking that too. My dad has diabetes. And I feel I, that doesn't give me the right to make diabetes jokes, but I get at least one reference. It doesn't even give you the right to pronounce it diabetes. <laughs> Call it diabetes, damn it. <laughs> 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 oh, but, but as far as news goes I didn't really have a whole lot the only thing that people that know me love know I love video games and they've been asking me a lot are you gonna get that new Resident Evil 2 remake and I'm like I just found out that it's coming out next next month so I am stoked on it don't know anything else about it though very interested it's coming out next month. Is it early or later next month? It just said January 2019. That was the date that I saw. So it, I don't know if it's going to be middle of January or what. But um, <clears throat> I'm really stoked. The only thing that kind of grinds my gears a little bit <laughs> is that they didn't go full on like Resident Evil 7 style with it. Because I'm all about Resident Evil 7 and the new first person ver- version. But they kind of went back, took two steps back and made they updated 2 to be more like 4. Hmm. Which I'm fine with, but it means it's going to be more action oriented and a little light on the scares, probably. And Aww, that pisses that me off. Also, breaking news it was Barbara Crampton's birthday yesterday. We all know Who's? Barbara Crampton from Reanimator and mm-hmm. oh, every shit. other horror movie in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, it was her birthday. And yeah, she hasn't aged a day. <laughs> really? No, uh, she's barely. Oh damn! That's how I feel about uh, Jillian Anderson. Jillian Anderson only got hotter as she got older. Oh god, she yeah. aged. She and aged Elvira. Really well. Oh yeah, totally. She, Elvira is one of those ones that hasn't aged yeah. at yeah, all. Yeah, she she's is the six, same. Barbara Crampton is sixty. Nice. Wow. So happy sixtieth birthday, Miss Crampton. Oh. Muffled clapping. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I think that's all we got for news. Uh, now we're going to move on to the main topic. Spooky! Podcast of the Dead. Okay, so our main topic today is John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982. Uh, I just want to start this off by saying The Thing... Uh, is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, definitely one of my favorite horror films. Definitely my favorite John Carpenter film. Uh, it's just so good. Also, I would totally fuck 80s Kurt Russell. <laughs> Does, I just have to, get, yeah. have to get that out of the Who way. Who wouldn't? You haven't, you haven't made it clear. Who wouldn't? You haven't made it clear if it is The Thing Kurt Russell or Big Trouble, Trouble in Little China Kurt Russell or fucking Snake or from Escape from L.A. Escape from L.A. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Escape from New York. Yes. Oh, just all of them. Okay, yes. that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, entirely. Agree. <laughs> Kurt got I it. would let and I would let Kurt Russell do awful things to me. <laughs> fine. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Um, Same. But uh, so let Christ. let's uh, let's talk about basically the origins before we get into the thing uh, proper first. So the thing. And the thing from another world, the 1951 film by Howard Hawks. Is it Howard Hawks? Right. That, that is what Howard you Hawks, said. Yeah. Um, is based yeah. on a novella published in uh, uh, was it Astounding Science Fiction magazine? It's a Ooh. Astounding Science Fiction magazine, which cool. uh, it was published in 1938. The name of the story is Who Goes There. Uh, and that's what uh, the thing from another world and John Carpenter's The Thing are both based on. 
Who Goes There was uh, written by John W. Campbell Jr. And uh, it's uh, uh, the story for is is pretty similar on all accounts. Like there's a lot of things that all of the the both the adaptions and the original source material share with Mm -hmm. each other. Uh, a, A lot of as far as John Carpenter's adaption, a lot of the names stay, stayed the same. A lot of the mannerisms of the thing stay the same. Uh, the setting stays the same and all that sort of stuff. The thing from Another World also takes some other elements, but we'll kind of get into that. The one thing about the novella that you kind of touched on when we were talking about it last night was it goes into more detail about how the thing spreads, correct? Because it's like a molecule or whatever is what allows it to take on to a host or whatever is that correct well kind of the kind of the the main rule that the original uh thing from from who goes there has is that it has to keep the same body mass Mm -hmm. the whole time so it's Mm. so it's gotta it's gotta keep its body mass and whatever it's because its body mass is larger than a regular human Mm -hmm. so it can uh take the form of a human and something else and that that kind of thing but it has to all of it is one organism and it kind of, they kind of touched on that in the John Carpenter one too is it's all just one thing uh and then it kind of splits itself evenly as as much as it can uh okay. it, they kind of <laughs> take liberty with that in the John Carpenter one and then in thing from another world it's kind of something entirely different but uh yeah Chrissy did you have something it's to sort say? Of- it sort of does the um oh like what cells do when they multiply. It's sort of like the kind of like basic thing that I got of it. It's just like oh, it's a thing, but it also has to be another thing. Kind of like when cells multiply, and then it takes over all of you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's like cell division where it breaks off. And then off. you're all fucked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you're all fucked. But yeah, but I, I just thought it was interesting when you were talking about it that the novella actually, even written in the 30s, it goes into this like, kind of like scientific detail about that it's this larger creature and it can only occupy so much mass, but then it breaks off and all of its pieces are equal to the sum of the whole and everything. And they do kind of mention that mm. in the movie where it's like, you know, when they start burning one thing and the guy starts like, and what's his face? Palmer starts uh, like convulsing mm-hmm. when they, yeah. when they're starting to attack it and yeah. like every, all of it feels it. So it's right. So Palmer starts getting attacked, right? But they don't, they don't give you any of the science, like the nitty gritty science behind it. So I thought that was interesting about the novella that even written in the thirties, they actually put like some really deep, thought into it i don't think that in the counter adaptation that they would have you know when you're in that situation they wouldn't think about that because they don't really have time to study it they're just sort of they just sort of think about uh, oh god let's murder this thing that's killing us yeah right right <laughs> for sure yeah uh and and the so the basic uh, synopsis of who goes there is it's a bunch of researchers in the Antarctic. Uh, it's nearly the, the end of winter. Uh, they discover this spacecraft that's been in the ice for millions of years at mm-hmm. this point. And they, they try mm-hmm. to take it out of the ice with some thermite charges, but the thermite charges <clears throat> ignite the hole. It blows up. Uh, but they find the body of, um, of an alien they they recover the alien pilot. They just don't recover any parts of the ship. And basically, they bring it in. Uh, the alien uh, thaws and revives because the alien was basically just slumbering the whole time. Um, it's it, and then it, it starts doing 
the stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts taking over. It starts with the dogs, and then it gets to the humans. Uh, it kind of follows the same sort of thing that the Carpenter one did, where uh, they try to do a serum test, but the serum test they they uh, have determined is probably going to be contaminated. Uh, and uh, well, in the Carpenter one, it's because somebody got to the blood, and and the blood right. was they couldn't use any of the blood that was already there. Um, <clears throat> and then it kind of goes through so, sort of the same phases. Uh, Blair. Uh, basically wants to kill everybody and kind of isolate the the whole the whole group right. so that the thing can't escape. I mean, uh, his, it made sense. That makes sense as an idea. It, it, it does. And I, I don't think Blair... Blair kind of did nothing wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Blair did nothing wrong. Yeah. Except you say that and that, to, to bring it back to stupid shit, it makes you think of Tony Blair and I'm like, wait, no, he did everything yeah. wrong. Well, yeah, we're not talking about Tony <laughs> Blair. We're talking about Blair from, from Who Goes Wilford There. Brindley did nothing yeah. wrong. Okay, this time we're keeping British politics out of it. Like, oh, I mentioned Brexit before, but okay, that's the end of British politics. <laughs> yeah, but, but basically Blair has the same storyline that he has in the John Carpenter one, which is mm. uh, that he is, he tries to destroy the communications. He's trying to, uh, he eliminates the dogs. He kills all the dogs uh he's trying to isolate everybody so that they just they just die out and this thing doesn't spread but then they isolate him in a cabin just like they do in the carpenter one the carpenter takes a lot of cues mm. and does a lot of the same stuff that the that the novella did uh and, yeah. and blair's story is almost identical mm-hmm. uh he you know he's isolated in the shed and then at some point he gets infected because it's pretty evident at least in the carpenter version that he is not infected until after he's in the cabin mm-hmm. uh because beforehand he's doing the human thing i guess but you you seem like you want to say something. You have that face. You want to say something, Chrissy? No, no sorry, my, I just have my other cat stop me out. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> she, she she really wanted to uh, just contribute. Apparently, uh, that's that's fine. Cat meows are fine. <laughs> she she the inter- the interesting she, thing. I mean, she she was just agreeing with you, which is which is saying like Blair. From I didn't fully read it, but. I sort of did a read a plot synopsis and I was like, oh man, Blair seemed to do nothing wrong. Poor lad. Yeah, as a first time watcher, when you do watch the thing, and we can talk about this later, but Blair kind of does seem to go crazy out of nowhere. Yeah. And, but mm. then when you watch it over and over again, that's when you're like, he knows what's up. Right. He knows what's good. Yeah, He's he knows trying what's to good. kill everyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and a lot uh, the story the way it ends is kind of the same thing too. They do that that same test where mm. they they realize because uh it's so it's not Norris but it's it basically Norris took the same storyline as uh, uh Kenner uh, Kenner is ah. the one in in who goes there that has the same storyline that Norris does. They're Okay. They uh, reveal they kill Kenner, and Kenner is revealed to be a thing. But they realize by the way that Kenner's body is reacting that the, all the thing is all one organism. Mm-hmm. So they do that yeah. same blood test that they do yeah. in John Carpenter's uh, adaption, uh, and they realize that there's other things out there. Right. And they realize, okay, we mm-hmm. have to isolate ourselves. Blair was right. Uh, they go and they check on Blair, and he's nowhere to be found. They realize that he was a thing. He also built a spaceship in the novella. Mm-hmm. It's the same same basic ending, and then they okay. blow up the whole place. And uh, yeah, so the the John Carpenter one is a pretty faithful adaptation of the the novella. 
One question I have about the novella. So you said it was written 39? 38. 38. Yeah. So who is it? Was it written by an American? Was it written by a European? Uh, I was just curious about the, uh, the kind of nationality. And John, kind of- John W. Campbell Jr. Uh, is an American. Okay. He's, yeah, it's, he's it's an American science American, It's a very American, like, that kind of science fiction mm-hmm. is very, very American. Yeah. Whereas... Because in in England at that point it was all like oh let's do like our thing is was the whole steampunk kind of thing when mm-hmm. they did like sci-fi right so you know it's a, it's a very American story yeah aliens and... aliens in the thirties <laughs> is very American and yeah and we'll get into we this... just had racists like Lovecraft <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I mean basically the the alien thing uh, was really big during the Cold War and then it's uh, I was just thinking that it's interesting that it it was also still kind of prevalent prior to that like it's even prior to yeah. it's yeah, pre Cold War, War it's pre Roswell yeah because uh, mm. Roswell was forty seven mm-hmm. so it's like they had this he had this idea of like aliens in the ice and crash landing been here for years like years before like all the conspiracy stuff mm. was really huge yeah big uh, into the american zeitgeist it was right before, exactly he was kind of on the cusp of it really. yeah but i mean that's the kind of people that you would find writing for uh astounding science fiction yeah, anyway yeah. that's the kind of people that would be really into that sort of thing anyway mm-hmm. uh so it's, that's pretty interesting uh so that's basically who goes there and that's the source material for the rest of what we're going to talk about uh, the first adaption, of course, of it was Howard Hawks's The Thing from Another World, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, The Thing from Another World uh, is not really close as far as an adaption. There's a lot of liberties that were taken, but there are some things that are the same. Uh, they still find the ship in the ice, but the ship has just landed. It's just crashed Ooh, in the right, ice. Right, yeah. That's, that's a key difference. So the, the, the ship just crashed, and the way that it was heated... It melted the ice when it crashed, and then it and then it froze over the top. Mm-hmm. So they still have to try and blow it out. And once again, in this adaption, they blow up the ship, but they're able to save uh, the actual uh, alien pilot itself. Uh, I don't know why they did this, but it's set in the North Pole mm-hmm. in Thing from Another World instead of the Antarctic, which is which is a strange one. Maybe it was because of. The way the ice would react, because I mean, the North Pole is mainly ocean, but I don't know. I also, Maybe it... I guess, because a lot more people would sort of the Antarctic still, even in like the 50s, people there wasn't many expeditions going there, whereas there were a lot of expeditions to the North Pole still at that point. Mm-hmm. So maybe they were just like, Oh, expedition to the North Pole, that makes sense. Yeah, there were more people going up there as opposed to, I don't know, I mean, we've had colonies, or not really car- colonies, more like research stations in the Antarctica. Like, er- er- every major country has them down there, but right. I don't know for how long. Maybe it was more of a mid-20th century thing, the late-20th century thing, because of technology and heating and stuff like that, as opposed to early. So it wouldn't have been around the 50s or the 30s when mm. the other two stories were written. So Yeah, it's, it's possible. Um we would have to be uh, Antarctic researchers, re- researchers to really know, yeah. <laughs> which we're yeah. not. Uh, just disclaimer. Uh, yeah, uh, but one of the the key things that I think is really interesting about the alien in Who Goes There is that it's telepathic, oh, which is not it's not telepathic in any any of the adaptions. But I mean, I guess it maybe has a bit of a hive mind. That's exactly what I was about to thing. say. Yeah. 
with the other things. It, well, yeah, but it's going to inherently have that because I guess it's it's all one being, but there's no outright saying or, like, any indication that it's telepathic in any of the adaptions. Mm. Yeah. And it's not in The Thing from Another World, either. Right. Right, and The Thing from Another World is completely different. That's completely different. And and that that's the thing, is the thing in uh, Thing from Another World is not, it doesn't take the shape of other things. Mm. Uh, it drinks dog's blood and <laughs> is a carrot monster. <laughs> oh, good, yeah. Oh, well, I, what I always thought was interesting about the thing from another world, and uh, and I always thought it was called the thing from outer space. That's what I grew up thinking it was called. And my dad told me it was like the scariest movie ever when I was a kid. When I finally watched it, not scary at all. And I think what it reminds me most, it reminds me more of a universal horror film than it does, like, a, a retelling of the thing or who goes there, you know? Because it, it is really just, like, a lumbering asshole just going through the snow, <laughs> like, as if it were the mummy or, right. or, or the creature yeah. from the Black that's Lagoon a, that's or a something. Good, that's actually a pretty good comparison. It is, like, a universal horror classic mm-hmm. in, in a way. Then again, uh, like, most sort of those kind of monstery alien movies in the 50s were because they were coming off the heels of the fact that Universal Monsters were so popular in the 30s and 40s. Right, right. right. It was coming off the heels of that. That's why we had so many of those like B movies that were like that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know if Howard Hawks did any of like any other like early B movies. You probably have to if you're in Hollywood at that time. Yeah, you probably would. So he's probably already steeped in that. I don't, I don't know because it's not. It is a B movie in a lot of senses, but I do enjoy. It's still a pretty decent film for 1951. Like I, I still mm. enjoy it. It's still a great film. But it, you know, it's just a classic like sci-fi horror film. Yeah. The guy who puts the electric blanket over the thing is an idiot. Uh, <laughs> I just want to say that outright. He is. Oh, he's course, dumb. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's just like, yes, I will put a blanket over because I don't want to look at his dumb alien face. Uh, but oh, it turns out he's alive now. <laughs> That's right. He, he does. He does it because he doesn't want to look at the face. I I had thought he felt sorry for it because it was cold. <laughs> no. 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 He's get, he's getting spooked by it. So he's That's just like, right. I don't want to look at it anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cover it up with this blanket that is plugged in. And I, I guess I didn't think to even check that, even though I felt a slight tugging from the outlet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's fine. all. It's all going to be fine. Just everybody. Uh, every people have died. Uh, <laughs> with the thing from another world, I've only ever seen it. When it's been used in other horror movies, kind of like uh, The Living Dead, where it was public mm-hmm. property. Right. Yeah. I've yeah. literally only ever seen it in other films. Yeah. So I do need to do a full one. It is one of those films that ver- that looks like an old horror film. Yeah. Like you just look at two yeah. seconds of it and you're like, oh shit, some creepy stuff's going yeah. on. Okay. <laughs> the most impressive thing effects wise in it is actually the explosion when they try to blow the the ship out it looks like a real fucking giant explosion mm-hmm. like I, a, they actually blew some shit up i remember <laughs> seeing that and i remember thinking for the time it was really really dynamic yeah 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 it's it's pretty cool explosions <laughs> are cool <laughs> yeah explosions are real cool yeah um, I mean, but yeah that's that's basically the the thing from another world in a nutshell is that it's it's not one that takes shape of other organisms. It's a big kind of a plant monster is what they establish. Uh, it 
its weakness is uh, heat. It's key, it, it, it tries to take the heaters off in the base it, to try and make it cold so it can basically go back to sleep uh, kind of thing, or at least stay cold because it likes the cold. It just wants a nap. Yeah, it needs a nap. <laughs> we all need a nap. I need a nap. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, fire is what kills it. Um, and that's pretty consistent throughout all of them, right? Yeah, that's yeah. The, pretty much the consistent yeah. thing is fire kills mm-hmm. it. Kill it with fire, please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like I said. That is my go-to solution for most things now. Is flamethrower? Yeah, <laughs> you got to open a pickle jar. Flamethrower. Flamethrower. <laughs> flamethrower. Yeah, it's what, what would McCready do? Yeah, yeah. burn that shit to the ground. That's what he would do. <laughs> or poured booze into a computer. With <laughs> it's a solution. It's yeah. definitely a solution. I don't know if it's the solution, but it is a, a solution. Um, yeah. <laughs> the in-laws are coming over tomorrow and the house is a mess. Flamethrower. <laughs> burn it all. It's fine. Torch the whole fucking place. Can't be judged on your house if there's no house left, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. It's a good it's a good way to be. Uh so now let's get into John Carpenter's adaption now that we've talked about the source material and the Howard Hawks adaption. So the synopsis of John Carpenter's adaption is basically the same. Uh, the key difference is the beginning. Uh, it starts with uh, the dog, uh, with a dog, uh, being chased by by the Norwegians, uh, which is a different base that's nearby uh, in a helicopter. They're shooting at it, and that's that's how the, the whole thing opens. But then it kind of plays out pretty similarly to who goes there. Uh, they still they have the the first part is that uh, the dog you realize that the dog is the thing uh, it's in a dog kennel and it tries to assimilate the other dogs and then it goes out of control from there uh, but basically for the yeah, most the part, part uh, it follows the storyline of who goes there the first time I watched it I kind of had that bit spoiled for me because a friend of mine knows Norwegian and we were watching it together. And obviously, the Norwegian sound get away from it. It's like, that's not a dog. And it was like, oh, thanks. Thanks for telling me that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I try, yeah, whenever I show people this film that haven't seen it before, I really try not to spoil it. I say, like, because people sometimes ask, they're like, why are they shooting at the dog? And I'm just like, you'll find out. Uh, you'll find out real soon. <laughs> that's with any horror movie, watching it with people that haven't seen it before. You just got to be like, just watch the movie. Or you got to say something just crazier to just throw them off the trying to piece things together. Yeah. <laughs> train. If we can impart any sort of wisdom with this podcast, it's don't spoil horror movies <laughs> for people. Let them, yeah. let them find it out for themselves. If they ask, if they're a type of person that asks a lot of questions or tries to guess things, just let them guess. Don't say anything. Yep. Just let them guess. Let them ask questions. Let them guess. That's the best way to experience a horror film is to be surprised, I think. Oh, yeah, that's for I agree. Sure. John Carpenter's version of the thing basically plays out the same way. Uh, it ends with uh, McCready and Childs being the only ones left. You're not sure which one of them is the thing. Uh, it, it's very ambiguous. It's very ambiguous. It's a big cliffhanger at the end. Uh, but I personally believe, and we'll maybe get into theories, I personally believe that neither of them is the thing. That's what I would say. I didn't... The- well, there's, my, there's the theory of the fact that Childs doesn't have the... Obviously, spoilers for the ending here. Um, the child isn't breathing with the cold. So there's theory that he might be a thing. 
But obviously it's never really ambiguous, yeah. so honestly, it's it's up to your like perception yeah. of the ending. That that must have been the point is to leave it up to the viewer. Yeah. But I mean if you if you if you That's a very carpenter thing, yeah, honestly. Definitely. And if you ask me, yeah, I I'm of the same mindset as you as that when it ended and they're just sitting there drinking whiskey, I don't think either of them is. I, I think they're, the, they're yeah. the last two people alive, and it's let's, let's watch this motherfucker burn, you know? We'll, uh, we'll get into theories after we talk about a few other things, but uh, I, I have a whole timeline of each character, and I'll explain why I'm pretty sure it's not Childs, mm-hmm. uh, but I yeah. but we'll, we'll talk about some other things first. First, we're going to talk a little bit about John Carpenter, because yep. John Carpenter, of course, is a very important horror uh, figure. Mm-hmm. Although doesn't really do man. a whole lot of horror films, actually. Uh, I mean, he no, did, he, I like he did a few. Obviously, he did The Fog. He did uh, Prince of Darkness. <laughs> he did Halloween, of course. Why but, is The Fog the one you, you come out the gate with? Uh, it's know, because it came before this. Oh, okay. Yeah, Carpenter's like uh, repertoire for films is very eclectic, which I really like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, he didn't, he did a lot of, he did some horror films, obviously, but he also did a lot of not horror films. He did Assault on Precinct 13, he did They Live, he did mm. uh, Big Trouble Little China, uh, Escape from New York. Although They Live is considered a horror film. For whatever is reason, it? yeah, people say that, and I don't understand yeah. why either. Um, I could see why, but it, in the same reason that you say that Assault on Precinct 13 isn't, I would call Assault on Precinct 13 a horror film, but it's a very visceral type of, oh shit, this could actually happen type of horror. Yeah. Getting pinned down in like a built, it's just like when they portray, you know, hospitals getting under siege or something like so, that. Yeah. It's like, oh shit, mm. am I caught in a public building that where there's like an active shooter or people actually like doing stuff? <laughs> yeah. That's scary. I and mean, that's a real life thing. I mean, we don't we don't have that over here. We don't have that fear. <laughs> must be nice. Yeah. Yeah, must Boy, be must nice. be nice. Must be real nice. <laughs> oh, well, it depends. It depends unless you live in London. But um yeah, no, that Carpenter like I wouldn't call Sultan Precinct thirteen a horror movie, but yeah, there's something scary about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely terrifying in its nature. Yeah. Uh I mean mm. I would say it's a thriller. Yeah. If anything. I'll give it to you. Like I wasn't arguing yeah. one way or the other, but yeah. at, at the same time, but that's one thing that Har- Carpenter is good at is finding things that are just scary. Maybe yeah. not horrific, yeah. maybe not horror, but they're uneasy. I mean the whole idea behind Halloween is scary. Oh yeah. 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 But th- yeah, and and they live the idea of that actually mm-hmm. being reality is terrifying. Yeah. But I I personally yeah. would consider they live a, a sci-fi film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, me too. But at the same time, yeah. But if you yeah. look at it, if you kind of take a, the abstract, kind of take a step back, look at it, and it's like, oh yeah, if that actually happened, that'd be terrifying. So <laughs> yeah, no, you could call it a horror film. Yeah, and th- he does blur the line a lot between horror and not horror. Like the thing, mm. it's it's very debated whether the thing is really to be considered a sci-fi film or a horror film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say it's a horror film, but it's I'd say it's horror sci-fi. It's- it's one of those double genre like movies. Yeah, in actuality it is a horror sci-fi film, but at the time when it was mm. put up against its contemporaries, its contemporaries were sci-fi yeah. films. Yeah. It yeah, and yeah. we'll get into into what the critics talked about uh when it came out and all that stuff and how they vi- eviscerated it. Uh but it we'll get into that. 
One, uh, one thing I'd like to say about Carpenter is I think Carpenter is a master of making like a drive-in movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, all oh, yeah. any oh. of Carpenter's movies feel like if you watch those in a drive-in just right. on Saturday night, you'd be like blown away. You'd be like, fuck yes, this Prince is amazing. Prince of Darkness is hands down definitely a drive-in yeah. film. <laughs> just oh, kinda- yeah, for sure. Prince <laughs> of Darkness is totally a drive-in film. Really right? is. It's so like so much about it. I mean, it's got Alice Cooper in it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so does so does a Nightmare on Elm Street uh, six? Freddy's dead. Oh, is he in that too? Yeah. yeah. yeah oh he's, shit! He's Freddy's dad. Oh, he's Freddy's yeah. dad. Yeah, he's Freddy's dad. Yeah. Does he uh, does he sing no no more Mr. Nice Guy in it? Uh, I think he's required by contract in awesome. every film Good. to sing that. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> 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 like they don't hire him unless he says he'll sing it. Like. No, no, you're not a Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, oh, let's talk about the cast just a little bit because I mean, John Carpenter. We we know enough about John. We'll t- we'll talk about yeah. John Carpenter in depth in like probably another episode. Uh, oh yeah. But but Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Not Russell Crowe as fourteen year old me was so adamant about one time. <laughs> <laughs> I used to get them confused. <laughs> Uh, Kurt Russell is in it. Wilford Brimley is in it. Yep. Um, you know, Wilford Brimley. Fucking, um, uh, Keith David. Donald Moffat, as we said before. As Gary, yeah. yeah. Uh, Keith David is Childs. Yeah, Keith uh, David's one mm. of my favorite, like, not really B-movie actors, but actors that's in everything yeah. actors. It's like, oh, is Keith David in this? Fuck yes, I good movie. I love Keith David. Yeah. Keith David's great. Keith David's mm. great. <laughs> we said that so do <laughs> but you know yeah. Keith David is he's, he's a brilliant actor yeah Keith David's so good uh, but I, it's a lot of great casting choices there's a lot of macho guys in this mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. I think like inherently the story kind of needs that because you need guys because fighting over leadership is a big part of yeah. like the latter half yep. of the film definitely uh, well, and, especially and that's when another... paranoia sets in Right, yeah, it's it. In, yeah, when that paranoia sets in, and you have those big macho guys that are just trying to mm-hmm. trying to fight over who should be the leader, I think that's a good indicator of who might or might not be the thing either. Because by that point, Nor like when they're fighting over who should be leader, and Norris, you know, is already the thing more mm-hmm. than likely at that point, and he he opts out. That thing, that yeah. to me tells me that the thing inherently does not want to be leader; it wants to be mm. conspicuous. It, which it tells me that hard. Childs probably is not the thing, mm-hmm. but I don't know. But no, and that and just ha- the cast as it is, and just it being all men, just did lead to some interesting moments. Just right. like some like kind of in- like like when you know uh, McCready and Childs get into it over and over again, like back and forth, and right. like they're they're accusing each other of everything. But then when Wil- Wolver Burnley does start shooting up the place and everything, the solution is he's like, hey, Childs. I'll I'll mm. do I'll do a thing. You go see if you can talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's a putting him in in danger. But Childs is like fine. And so there's like that mutual trust between the two of them. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's it is an interesting relationship dynamic. And then you have to love the scene where he goes in and tries to talk to him. He's like, hey, you don't want to do this. And Wolfram Bradley's first first out the gate thing is to just bang, <laughs> just yeah. shoot right yeah. at him. Yeah, he, he's just like, I'm gonna fucking kill you. <laughs> I'm gonna fucking yeah. shoot you in the face. He just straight up is like, yeah, nah. <laughs> yeah. Not about it. Nah, yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, blood. I, 
there's there's a lot of reasons this movie works. Of course, it's the casting. Of course, it's just John Carpenter oh, running the whole thing. Uh, but the the effects. I think the effects, and we'll talk about the music too. The music is really important. But I mm. think first we should talk about the effects because the effects. If they looked dumb, then this whole movie would have just gone out the window. Mm. But the yeah, effects I mean- are. So good, still e- great even today. Uh, yeah, that's the, uh, brilliant. Yeah, the effects were uh, the creature effects were led by a guy named Rob Botin. Uh, Rob Botin did uh, work on the fog before this. He had worked with Car- Carpenter before that. He also did uh, the, like all the transformation stuff in the first The Howling movie. Oh, did yeah, um, he helped. Yeah, yeah him and. Um... Stan Winston helped a lot in the film as well, but he's uncredited. Oh yeah, Stan Winston did work on the film, but yeah, he didn't. He gave all the credit to Rob Bottin because of how how oh, yeah. great Rob Bottin's work was. <laughs> uh, Rob Bottin later went on to also do all three RoboCops. Yeah, he didn't nice. uh, make up on on all the RoboCops. Uh, he didn't make up in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, <laughs> which is oh, a weird one. That's I mean that's cool, right? That's a good and then, film. and then he also did makeup in Mr. Deeds, <laughs> the Adam Sandler film. Oh, uh, everyone, yeah. need, everyone needs a paycheck sometime. Well, everybody needs a paycheck sometime. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you gotta be you, you, you. If you need money, you're working on Adam Sandler film. That's a that, that's how it goes. Yeah. Or maybe they just needed someone with really good practical effects knowledge to get that fucking frostbite foot scene down. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, <it's> actually, <laughs> the first thing I thought about when I said I saw Mr. Deeds, I was like, he must have done the frostbite yeah. foot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, a lot of the effects were, of course, uh, practical. I don't think any... there. I mean, there's no computer effects in it at all. It's all practical effects. I mean, Even the title sequence... I mean, is, there's is, some is, like on like the like the computers and stuff, but obviously that. Well, yeah, different. that's inherently going to be computer effects. But like the all all the practical effects, all of it was practical practical effects. Even the title sequence was mm-hmm. practical effects. Uh, that yeah. wasn't done by Robo Team, but uh, that is it is important to know that pretty much all of it was practical effects. A lot of KY jelly, <laughs> a lot of KY jelly. <laughs> yeah, that's. I'm not surprised that. It, it's too see-through to be Vaseline. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. It's too drippy. It's too yeah. drippy to be Vaseline. Vaseline's more viscous, so... The uh, thing was sponsored by KY Jelly. <laughs> the whole movie. No, I'm not going to get... Yeah, just, just make it just a big lube commercial. <laughs> <laughs> at, at the end, it's just like an announcer that's just like, KY Jelly. And that was just the his one. You haven't seen the hers one yet. Yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a completely different movie entirely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but um there are some key points I want to talk about. The the scene, the the defibrillator scene, which is what oh, I like yeah. to call it. The icon- that scene iconic took moment. months. Yeah, that that scene took months and months to set up and they didn't get it right the first time. Oh god. Uh, so they, they fucked up the first time and they had to redo the scene and it took, I think, seven months to redo it. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. you, I mean, you can see it when you watch it. When the, when Norris's head starts to come off, you can see all the, like, tubes mm-hmm. and all, like, the tendons they had to yeah, make. And those all had it's to stretch. So and you detailed. said that was, like, a hydraulic jack, right? Yeah, it was a hydraulic piston a that piston, they had yeah. set up to, to push the head out mm-hmm. uh, 
of the body and had they had all these 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 filaments and things that were filled oh, with like goo. goo like green green yogurt or something yeah and they all just <laughs> burst when the piston pushed the head off right and yeah and they had to do that scene twice jeez uh, yeah it's incredibly detailed and hats off to them for, for like that level oh, of work it's so I'd good have, i'd have probably cried if like if I it was there me was and it had gone right, I'd have just broke down. I would if if I if I was the one who had set it up the first time and it didn't go right the first time, I would have screamed until my lungs collapsed. Like <laughs> I say, we all say that though. But if you get paid hourly, you're like, fine, yeah, fuck I'll it, let's do, do it again. again. <laughs> but I mean, imagine what the first time must have looked like. I mean, it's kind of the same thing with the shining and the yeah. elevator blood. Mm-hmm, like that yeah. took them like three tries or yeah. something like that, and it was gallons and gallons and gallons of blood uh for them to get that scene right and i mean you just want to get it right i think in the end yeah. you just want to make sure it's all correct i'd rather uh, get it so, right than do it multiple times yeah hats off to them hats off to just the designs mm-hmm. in general oh, God, like yeah. the designs are fucking horrifying like the the i think my favorite effects part is definitely what what's the balding guy that that gets that they see him transforming in the snow Oh, oh Bennings? Yeah. yeah. That's probably my favorite, like, effects moment, because yeah. just, like, his eyes are blacked out, and his mouth is all open, and he just has these giant fucking just talons, just yeah. weird, just drippy boys on the end <laughs> of his, <laughs> like, fucking arms, and he's yeah. like, woo! <laughs> <laughs> definitely yeah. my favorite, like, special effects look is is just that whole, the whole defibrillator scene, like that. I know it's basic, but... Christ, it's still makes me like uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah the whole the oh, whole Nora scene, yeah. is still fantastic. Mm. It's still great to look at. I also really love the Palmer scene where they're doing the blood test, where oh, his yeah. head splits open. Mm. Such a good scene. That's a brilliant uh, scene. It's amazing. Uh, but I think all of it would be kind of understated. I mean, it, I mean, it's under. It, it wouldn't be understated because of the effects, but I think it would not be underlined without the music, mm-hmm. and the music is really important oh, as well. The soundtrack, uh, yeah, oh. the soundtrack's so good. Did you did you have any uh, notes on the on the music and the soundtrack and everything, oh, Chrissy? I most of my notes on the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll let you take it then. Because unlike, um, unlike, as I said, normally Carpenter does his own music for most of his films. Mm-hmm. But he right. had uh, Ennio Morricone do it, which I think right. is a brilliant idea. Because there's just there's so many like, quiet bits with his music, whereas you know it's in the background, but that kind of quietness builds up that tension. Right. And it, yeah. It builds. It builds up. It doesn't take away like some soundtracks do. It doesn't take away from anything. It's just it's there. And you can hear it, right. and you can hear the sound cues, because obviously mm-hmm. you would. But it's right. still very... The music's ambiguous, and uh, it instills that sense... A very powerful sense of dread, especially when it's like a really mm. long yeah. note. Because it does a lot of sort of long, like long, unbroken notes. <laughs> to quote a British... To quote a British thing, the longer the note, 
the mole dread. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's so much long, drawn-out notes, and there's a lot of just, like, stringing of a lot of legato stuff together, mm-hmm. uh, like, where it's just one big line just kind of forming. Uh, and a lot of the strings in it, and I don't want to be too, like, uh, kitschy about it, but they are very icy, like, mm-hmm. by design, yeah. I think, yeah, you know? definitely. Uh, yeah, it's very, um, it, the music's cold. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, because it is a mixture of like synth stuff and or- or- orchestration, yeah. and uh, the, the mm. synth stuff is my favorite. See, like when you told me Ennio Morricone was on it at all, I was just like, "Wait, what?" And then yeah. when we watched it again, I was like, "Oh yeah, I hear it here, I hear it here." But I swear, the soundtrack to me is always just those weird synth like dun 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 dun. Yeah, you, you know that, like the heartbeat. It's like Terminator. It's like fucking RoboCop. Yeah. It's fucking Halloween. You know, it's all that John Carpenter like goodness that I love. Just mm. but it's only in certain scenes, and you're just like, "Ooh, I love right. it." Right. When, when I was watching yesterday, my mum, because my mum ended up watching it with me, she thought it was um, Carpenter doing the soundtrack first. I'm like, no, it's, yeah. it's Morricone. And Morricone actually used bits of what he didn't use in this in one of Tarantino's films. Really? think it's the hateful eight yeah hateful eight uh, yeah morricone did do the music for hateful eight so i think i think it was that would make sense it's interesting that they share that dna though Mm -hmm. i think a lot of uh the hateful eight is actually inspired by the thing because well like the thing is like to one of tarantino's favorite films and he's like constantly said that it was a very big inspiration for him so yeah they they share music technically and just just for a little a bit of background, because not a whole lot of people know who Ennio Morricone is. Uh, Ennio Morricone did the a lot of the spaghetti western soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Yep. He did the soundtrack for uh, the whole Fistful of Dollars. I was about to say the whole series. Dollars trilogy. Yeah, the whole Dollars trilogy. Uh, he did uh, what, mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in the West and Once Upon a Time in America. I he, don't know if he did Fistful of Dynamite, which is the other Once Upon a Time in trilogy. I yeah. don't know if he did it for that one, he, but I'd be surprised he if he did. probably did. Yeah. But basically what we're saying is he created the Spaghetti Western soundscape. Sound. Yeah. 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 And and that that is that is what he's most famous for. And he did music for uh, this. Yeah, With, yeah it's he such a weird... He did some music for some other horror movies, I think. Did he really? He he was like Hans Zimmer for a while in films. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. It's a good person but to be also, if you're in the movie industry. He also yeah. created the introduction music that Metallica went out to for a while. Ecstasy of Gold? He did Ecstasy yeah. of Gold? Oh, yeah, I guess he yeah. did, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Interesting. <laughs> Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I did not know that, but that's pretty cool. Uh, well, for well, I don't know who it's cool for because I don't really like Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool for somebody. It's cool in principle. Uh, so e- even the scent stuff. A lot of people think the scent stuff was done by John Carpenter, but that was also Ennio who who mm-hmm. did it. He did both scent stuff and the orchestration part of it, and uh, yeah. he kind of he actually wrote the whole score without having watched the film. Um, he just. That's great. Yeah, he uh, he wrote he like saw the screenplay of it. He read the screenplay and then he's just like, okay, I'm gonna write music to this. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it. it I mean, it, that could have been a hit or miss, and it was a, yeah. it was definitely a hit. Well, I kind of related in the way that the Alien soundtrack was done because uh, the the soundtrack for Alien was not the soundtrack that was originally written for it. 
The soundtrack oh. for Alien was actually originally written for... Uh, the soundtrack that you hear in Alien was originally written for a biopic about Freud. Uh, and the the director for Alien, uh, uh, which is uh, Rid- Ridley Scott. Rid- Ridley Scott yeah, yeah, Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. He he heard the, the Freud soundtrack and he's like, that's the one I want. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. So the... So the soundtrack for Alien was originally meant for a biopic about Freud. Uh, just a little little fun fact. So that music was not intended for that. And the music for this, not that it wasn't intended for this, but it wasn't written having seen the movie. With knowledge of, the, of yeah. what knowledge it was going to go with. Knowledge of the actual with. stuff yeah. that's on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was little bits that were written by John Carpenter. All like the stabs and like the little sound effects and stuff like that. That was all written by Carpenter. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. All of that was written by Carpenter. And you said that Morricone noted that Carpenter wrote his own music at parts, right? You said right. that that was a discussion yeah. they had. He, yeah, Morricone <laughs> said, why did you even hire me if you're going to write stuff yourself? And he's like, well, I, I still love your music. I mean, I still want you to write something. Yeah. But there were there were some things that he, that Carpenter said, Morricone, and Morricone, like the tension, some intense point, of tension in the film, he felt like Morricone's music didn't fit well. Okay. Yeah, so he he did not he did omit some of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, so. I guess you can kind of tell that because Gar, you can kind of tell when it's a when it's Carpenter and when it's not. Mm-hmm. But for the untrained ear, the casual viewer <laughs> who doesn't know soundtracks that well, you won't be able to tell. Right. The mixture is really good. They mix together yeah. really well. I feel like it's hard to tell a lot of the time which one is Carpenter, which one's Morricone. And I, I think kudos to Carpenter on that one because that that means that he was trying to kind of fit Morricone's style in the way mm-hmm. that he was writing things. True. Yeah. Yeah. That that does show yeah. That is an interesting point. He was trying to not emulate Morricone, but make sure he had something that paired well. Yeah. Right. To exactly. make a move, to make the whole movie cohesive. Cheese to the wine, yeah. yeah. Uh, cheese to the wine for sure. Uh, so, uh, music, practical effects, those help this film work really well. Uh, I know, uh, Chrissy. One of the things you wanted to talk about was the color palette. Everything's very matte. If you look mm-hmm. at it, everything's very matte, which you know it's not shiny until obviously you look at the, the gore effects, obviously, because right. You can't have matte blood. (laughs) (laughs) If you look at just the whole colour palette of the... It's all, you know, intense blacks and whites and blues and greys and sort of other cool neutral colours, which make you feel cold. Like, my house was super warm when I was watching it yesterday, and I had to, like, put on super thick pyjamas and a blanket because I felt so cold watching. <laughs> yeah, just watching yeah. the movie. Uh, and fun little fact: the sets of the thing were actually refrigerated. Uh, <laughs> all of all of the sets were refrigerated, and it was actually that cold in there. Well, I mean, it wasn't Antarctic cold, but it was cold enough for you to be able to see your breath in the sets. And they would basically, it was like during an LA heat wave that they were filming this. They would walk out of the set; it would be like 80, 90 degrees outside, and they would have to oh, take God. their parkas off and all that stuff. Like oh, when they God. came out. And it was like a whole disrobing uh, thing. And then they eventually just got tired of doing that and would just walk out in their parkas and then go eat lunch in their parkas. It, it's funny. The whole thing's <laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> the, just the use of the color scheme as well, it adds to that sort of 
Well, when you're looking at those sort of cool neutrals, like cool neutral colours, it adds to the feeling of sort of... It adds to that sort of desolate isolate feeling. Mm-hmm. Like, you see all that snow and you see just the endless grey of the sky and the endless white of the snow and just like, yeah, no. If I, if I was in that situation and I was there, I'd be fucked. I'd be lost if, <laughs> if I went out in the snow. Like, it adds to that sort of... It plays on your fears, too. You yeah. get a real sense of desolation, for sure. Mm. And, Chrissy, until Zach told me that you were talking about color palette, I hadn't really thought about it. But then when I watched it again and I started thinking about it, yeah, it really is. When it's all people, it's all really blue, really stark, really, like like you said, really uh, neutral blues, neutral whites, and stuff like that. But then anytime anything's going on with the thing, I don't care what it is, Immediately, the color palette changes to bright reds, yeah, like the flare like the- when uh, the guy's outside transforming, or mm. the, just the the look of the flesh and everything with the dogs, all the little tentacles coming out, all these the reds fire. all of a sudden Usually. on the mm-hmm. screen. Yeah, yeah. So, and red is sort of a thing in in color theory is like usually used to break up monotony of really? those, of color palettes like that. Like, a lot of people had, like, a pop of red or a pop of orange Mm -hmm. in those kind of colours to, like, still make it neutral, but not, like, not so boring. So it's also, like, a a thing that they may have considered, but not really. Right. And and so you don't see a whole lot of flesh colours... In the color palette, a lot of it's, like we said, grays, whites, blues, uh, because, the, I mean, the humans are covered up. They cover up their skin because yeah. it's cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the only times you really see, like, intense flesh colors is when the thing is doing its thing, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, which I, I think it's an interesting, the way that they use color in it is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. Oh, I felt so cold watching it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, like... I guess the the main basis and like the the overarching idea that pretty much every version of the thing who goes there whatever the whole idea is kind of about isolation mm-hmm. uh, and like what that does to human nature and Paranoia. especially when you have something like that that enters that space mm-hmm. and then you kind of have to deal with it head on uh, because it is such an intimate space everybody's kind of close quarters to begin with and it's that mixture of cabin fever because you're out in the middle of nowhere, but then because the paranoia builds at the end of yeah of so, of each of the stories, mm-hmm. and you when you have that introduced into this place that's already everybody already has like mental breaks, uh, it makes things really interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's also uh, an interesting thing with the fact that it's all men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely there's, right because so. Uh, I watched the kill count that documented all the kills. And, um, yeah, like, it's an interesting thing with the fact that it's all men, just because of the fact, obviously, if a woman is on that space, it could. You, you, you nature takes its course sometimes when, mm-hmm. the, in isolated spaces with men and women. So, it's, just super interesting, sort of like that whole idea of sort of masculinity as well is mildly challenged, because mm-hmm. they yep. all, right. they all don't want to show that they're weak in front of the others when they're th- when they're having to confront the problem of the thing. Right. 
Right. And it is it is terrifying. The the whole idea of it is terrifying. Mm. And uh it's interesting to point out that the thing from another world, it's not all men. Yeah. Really? Uh oh, that's it, right. there there is at least one woman. Uh I'm pretty sure there's only one woman. Mm. Uh in the thing from another world, but it's not all men. It kind of has that sort of dynamic mm. of like Daniel in distress type thing. Oh, okay, which would make sense for like kind of something on the, on the heels of a universal horror. Or something. Yeah, so that like, makes like sense. Exactly. Saw a hand. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So the thing from another world kind of sits in its own mm-hmm. uh, category as far as like it's kind of a universal horror film after the universal horror films right. uh, existed. But uh, but yeah, I think that. In every essence of of the thing, at least if we're talking about the eighty two, unless and I'm just going to focus on the eighty two one really quick. Mm. In every aspect, isolation is really the key. You know, yes, mm. we could talk about Definitely. them being men with no women. That's complete isolation. You could talk about them being in Antarctica. That's isolation. You could talk about them being isolated just amongst each other because that's cabin fever that's what cabin fever does to you, you well know, and just... isolated so like because if you're by yourself you could be attacked by the thing exactly and so that's a, the real fear the communications i haven't had communications for weeks yep right and so it in that and, way as well yeah and if you want to take that to a bigger picture that if you draw it out and you kind of take like kind of take a two, few steps back it could be a whole statement on the isolation of the human race in general because the thing came from another world. It came from outside of Earth. It came from a place we don't know about. And so it just shows how isolated and ignorant we are of space, of everything else that's out there. So the movie works on so many levels. Like that theme works on so many levels that it's it's almost, it's it's masterful the way that they weave it in and out, you know? Right. Yeah. It makes you, almost makes you think about how you'd be in that situation and how isolated you'd be. And let's not forget to mention the X-Files episode, because I don't think we've mentioned it at all <laughs> oh, since yeah. then. Oh, yeah. The X-Files episode does the, just as good a job of portraying that, that feeling of isolation, but in only an hour. And I feel like the X-Files episode did a really good job of condensing everything that we've talked about into a really short, really just like in-your-face, hour-long retelling of who goes there because i'm going to say that x-files is more who goes there than it is the thing it is yeah Yeah. it is i think the episode is actually called who goes there (laughs) i think i think it is i think you're right yeah um i think it is yeah i'd I'd have to ask my dad my dad's not always good like all this my dad um so uh this uh so when the thing was released in 1982, it was eviscerated. Yeah. Uh, John Carpenter has said that it is one of his biggest disappointments critically. Like he he feels like people piled on him for for the thing, and I you have to you have to think of it in context because like in 1982, a lot of other sci-fi films, a lot of big sci-fi films came out at the same time, and that's the peers. That it was put up against. It wasn't put up against horror films. It was put up against sci-fi films. Right. It's put up against E.T. It was put up against Blade Runner. It was put up against... I mean, it, it was put up against Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. It had all these, like, uplifting sci-fi films that it was put up against. Well, maybe not Wrath of Khan. Oh, Blade Runner. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Uplifting now. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, like, E.T. is uplifting. Uh, Blade Runner is not uplifting, but it's got kind of, like... It's got... It's not, like down and it's dirty emotion, like the thing it's yeah, it's, it's, it's an emotional film it, it does not to... have a dark cynical ending like right, the thing right. does uh, 
Uh, but that's that's kind of what it was put up against, and people hated it. Well, critics hated it. Yeah. Critics are dumb, though. Critics <laughs> yeah. critics are not the voice of the people. Critics, mm, uh, critics thought that Jack and Jill was good. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, critics are idiots. Uh, they just they they don't they don't have a every person's eye for things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like they they see things from a critical point of view, but they're not looking at the big picture. They're not. They don't want to enjoy themselves. To be, to be a cynic, I think the critics only like what companies pay them to like. Well, yeah. If we're really getting deep into it, if we're really getting conspiracy theory about it, is I mean, it, it sometimes it is what they are getting paid for. Uh, but let, for example, like Roger Ebert at the time said, the thing was a gross-out movie in which teenagers can dare one another to watch the screen. <laughs> uh, to which I say, what the fuck's wrong with that? Yeah, uh, yeah. nothing wrong with that. And I don't see. Yeah. I don't even see it like that because I mean, to me, yeah, from from a normal standpoint, I mean, fr- back in the eighties, yeah, it must have been out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know what what screen violence was like at the time. It wasn't that. I no. was about to say, yeah, no, but that was still <laughs> above and beyond. But I w- still wouldn't call it a gross out film. Every part of it has its purpose. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think gross out deeper. film to me is definitely. V- v- gratuitous, and nothing in the thing is gratuitous. Yeah, I'm not gonna say it. I'm not going to say it's a perfect film. Uh, the characters, of course, are a little flat. There's not a whole lot of There's characterization. Too many of them. There is a lot of characters. Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily to its detriment. I think a lot of the writing for the characters, the characterization is not strong. Mm. But I don't think it needs to be, really, for, no. the, for the film to work. It, right. I think, you don't need to really, I think it's okay to have flat characters. You don't really need to focus on the characters too much. You just need to focus on the isolation and what the story is trying to say. Mm. Whereas yeah, the characters, is, you know, as much as they're great, they're not really the main focus. It, right. The thing is the focus. Mm, the thing is the I focus. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is definitely the focus. Uh, I A lot of critics like the effects. Uh, a lot of a lot of critics thought it was very visually stunning I mean, in the way that it was done. Uh, Variety magazine at the time said, "If it's the most vividly gruesome monster film to stock the screen that audiences crave, then the thing is the thing." <laughs> On all other levels, however, John Carpenter's remake of Howard Hawks' 1951 sci-fi film uh, comes as a letdown. Yeah, <laughs> D- but did it did it win any awards or anything for its effects though? I don't think so. No. I should. Look, I, this this is on me. I, I I made a I made a failing, but I I, I want to look up and see what won you know Oscar for best effects that year. Yeah. That the thing came out. You know what I mean? What was it up against that it didn't win? Because that those are some of the best well, I'm movie pretty effects. Sure, it might not have even been nominated. Yeah, which sucks. Because a lot at the time, horror like even still horror movies are never nominated for Oscars. Unless you've got something like Jordan Peele's Get Out, which is put up as a psychological thriller. That is a horror and film. never directly as a horror movie, yeah. because the Academy doesn't believe that horror movies... The Academy critics don't believe that horror movies are actually, like, worthy yeah. of Jeez. that kind of... Th- any kind of proper praise. God, we could do a whole episode on Get Out and why that's a horror film and it's yeah, awesome. Right. Are you kidding and, and, me? And yeah, um, it's it's like I said, the line is blurred there whether it should be considered a sci-fi film or a horror film, and really, it, it, on all levels, it's both. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm. you know, it was treated like a horror film, but it was it yeah. was compared to sci-fi films. Treated like a horror film compared to sci-fi films. Yeah, which is strange. Yeah, that's not which often. Makes no sense. But of course. They had, of course, they did it that way. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. But, I mean, at now we consider it a cult classic. It, I mean, it's it's a classic horror film. It's something that I think every horror film sh- horror film uh, fan should watch. If you haven't watched the thing... Every film fan watch. should watch, honestly. Huh? Like, in every film fan, like every cinephile, mm-hmm. yeah. as they call themselves. Yeah. You should... Just watch the thing. It, it's a classic film, both for the acting and for the for the feeling that it gives you, and for the effects. And yeah, maybe and the writing the soundtrack. Writing, oh yeah, the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Writing the writing itself didn't have to be strong, and it, it is in some points, it isn't in others. But the acting is good. The, everything is so mm. good. It's just done so well by everyone. Everyone yeah. brought their A game. It's 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 A game material yeah. all around. Uh, people might be a little mad at us if we didn't at least acknowledge uh, the thing from 2011, uh, which is the prequel to John Carpenter's adaption. Uh, I don't think any of us are big fans of it, though. (laughs) I will say... No, it was garbage. Just for full disclosure, I haven't seen it, and I've heard other things. I've heard people say that it's good. I intend to watch it and make my own judgment, just like I encourage everyone else to, with all the movies we're talking about and the short story. Um, make your own judgment yeah. as to what you think the best one is, but I don't see how, if it wasn't practical effects and it wasn't directly related to the, the John Carpenter one, I don't see me being interested in it. It was you know? directly related. It's supposed to be the story of the Norwegians. Oh. Uh, that's yeah. that's what it is. But some of it was... But it's really weak. Very minor points of it were, were special effects, but most of it's CGI. And I think that it's, once again, is missing the point entirely. It's like, oh, how grotesque can we make these things look? Oh. It's like, it's like yeah. watching somebody play Dead Space. That's what that movie looks like. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's. It would have been great as a Dead Space film. It would have been great, <laughs> but it. Yeah, it was. I found the story was just too weak, and it was. It seemed really lazy to me. Yeah, it always seemed really lazy because it was like, oh, let's just go off of this idea, and people will go because it's related to something that's pop that that is that was popular that slash is popular within the horror film community. To I mean to to not put too fine a point on it, it's just not compelling. I mean, yeah, it, it's as simple as that. It's not a compelling film. It's just I don't care for it at all. Okay. Uh, also, I, I'm sorry if in if in the audio footage there you just heard my cat crawl across the floor <laughs> with his claws. Amazing. Uh, yeah, but that's I mean. That's pretty much all the, uh, the the adaptions that have been made so far of yeah. Who Goes There. Uh, what yeah. are whatever whatever out of John Carpenter's thing? What's our like favorite version of the thing? I still think Wait, this is super basic. Mine is. Uh, <laughs> Which one's yours? Uh, just Norris. Really? The whole the whole sort of spider head, and then when it goes off, because it's obviously it's really? come out, like it's come unattached, and it sort of. Wriggles off. Oh my god! Oh, yeah, no, it's so it's so, so it's sli- it like slides off. It slumps to the floor. You gotta be fucking kidding! Yeah, me. Yeah. Oh my god, that line! It's so good. I love that line. You gotta be fucking kidding! Like I fucking love it. It's so good. Oh it's, gosh, that is so a great scene. Pleasing. 
What's yours, Isaac? Mine is, it has to be the dog scene. The fucking dog fucking trying to kill all the other dogs. And then he becomes just a nightmare. Yeah. Like, whoa, I have been playing too many survival horror games now. And I have no herbs left. I'm dead. My head skin just (laughs) peeled off like a banana peel. (laughs) It is not even, you know, that used to be my. It's all the little tentacle things. Yeah, that's what. Oh, God, I've seen enough hentai. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. It used to be the dog's face peeling open that was my favorite. But then I rewatched it. I'm like, oh, God, it's just these whips. Tentacles going everywhere that makes it for me. Just like, <laughs> and you're just like, oh no, no, get it away. It's so good. <laughs> it's, so good. it's in the noise that they make. Whoops, I dropped my phone. Oh, <laughs> the hellish noise. Yeah, the yeah. noise that they make was like. <laughs> oh, oh, <yeah. laughs> it's interesting because all of our uh, versions of the thing are different. My favorite version oh. of the thing is a Palmer thing. Oh, oh, the head. Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, where his head opens up. Ooh. I fucking love it. And like the whole <laughs> transformation where his like eyes are popping out and they just oh, and then yeah. like yeah, that's really good. and then yep. his head opens up and it's like yeah what? <laughs> <laughs> and I hate that just because you secretly because uh, it's secretly because it's your name. No, uh, it, it, <laughs> nobody's supposed to know that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. The thing I hate most about that scene, though, is fucking Kurt Russell sitting over there with the defunct flamethrower. Boomf, 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 Like, if that would be, I'd be like, work! Work! (laughs) Please work! Windows just standing there doing nothing. Poor poor Windows. Windows got fucking chopped. (laughs) Chopped as fuck. Windows just got screwed. Yeah. Yeah. They Poor rag- bastard. They ragdolled the fuck out of him at the end there. <laughs> <laughs> He's screaming. His screaming is so Oof. good. Uh, oh, I, also, so good. I also love the... Um, I cannot remember for the life of me the character's name, but we mentioned it earlier when he's sort of in the snow and he's screaming. Mm-hmm. Dennings, yeah. Well, yeah, Dennings. Uh, Dennings. Well, yeah. One of those classic horror... <laughs> yeah, like uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers yeah, exactly. type scream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I absolutely love that. I, I really love the scream. It's so good. And then, like, the, like, the, the, like, filter sweeps on the synth that's mm-hmm. underneath it. Like, yeah. like, I fucking love it. It's so mm-hmm. good. It's, so good. I love brilliant. this movie. <laughs> I love it. I love this movie so much. Uh, yeah. So, final thoughts. Do we have any final thoughts on it? Um, it's a fucking classic. And if you haven't watched it, I will be mildly ashamed of you. Me too. <laughs> I think my final thought. I think my final thoughts are just I had no idea that it was such an old story and that it holds up so well over so many different yeah. v- variations of it. Because it's, it's a pretty close adaption. Mm-hmm. John Carpenter Every single one is, close. yeah. So the original story was that good. Mm-hmm. The original mm-hmm. story was that fucking good. It was posted, it was like fucking in a, a sci-fi mag from the 30s. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the craziest thing to think about. It's mm-hmm. just like, it's a story that endured that much time, and it's still great. Yeah, people still love it, and it would Brilliant. still make just as much sense today. Yeah. Like, with all the different social and economic and every everything that you want to talk about it with, so it applies. Well, I think that's all we have for this week. Uh, we are... Uh, on social media, are we really? We're on social media. We we're can't on, be. We have a Facebook page. Uh, <laughs> just just uh, search "Podcasts of the Dead" on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. We have an email. Uh, the email is podcast of the dead uh, podcast of the dead at gmail. Okay, uh, it's pretty easy. And we're on Twitter at uh, PC of the Dead. Uh, so hit us up on all those and bother Ooh. us about things. 
all of yep. those social media, will, the recent posts will be of a lovely cat with yeah. notes. <laughs> He's organized. He's but, organized uh, with his own notes. Yeah, if anyone wants to yell at us to watch movies that we haven't seen yeah. or anything, yeah, anything please. Anything you want to want us to cover, please hit us up on social media and we'll see if, what yeah. we can do. We'll try and formulate an episode around it if we like it a whole lot. Uh, but yeah, we or do. if we uh, don't like it, and we will probably upset you with our opinions. <laughs> yes, probably. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, probably. 100%. We, we have some. We have hard opinions on horror movies. So, uh, but uh, we love you all. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye. Stay good to each other. Later. Yeah, we be, be nice. <laughs> be nice. And we out. <laughs>